Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. One of the things that came together is something we've all been feeling as a country. We watched that drip, drip, drip of the stories and the leaks from the intelligence community about Chinese election interference. We called for an inquiry. We were still waiting, and there was so much pressure on this government, and they said, okay, but it's not being organized. And then there is more. The news about the two Michaels this week, where we had Michael Spaver saying that he he felt that he was in prison because his other hostage was dealing in an intelligence. So now we have a lot of questions about this global intelligence unit that has been referenced. And then there was the explosion in Niagara. We got a lot to talk about it. We have a wonderful guest. His name is Phil Gursky joining us live. President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting. Phil, let me ask you, did I leave anything out in that long list of things there? I mean, we have the two Michaels, we have the explosion in Niagara, and one more thing, I don't know if you've read it, but there was a piece in the Financial Times about Canada and the opener was a grabber for us, said, you know, this country thought they were immune from foreign affairs that is uh, hot and dangerous. And now they're embroiled in a situation with India and also with China. Phil, you know, what a culmination here when it comes to intelligence and security. It's funny you raised those, and I throw in as well, Arlene, the, uh, the the finding in the Cameron Ortiz case in the RCMP yeah, where he was yeah. found guilty of uh, disclosing intelligence to people who didn't need it. You know, for a country that doesn't normally care about national security and intelligence, and I would throw most governments in that same same box, it's been one hell of a couple of months, hasn't it? And there's a lot to talk about. And it, again, I think it shows a couple things. I, I think it shows our relative immaturity as a nation. When it comes to these matters, our allies in the States and in Great Britain and Australia, et cetera, I think they do a better job of handling these matters because governments understand the value of intelligence, what to do with it. And we here in Canada, want to play Mr. Mace guy, constantly apologizing to people. And maybe there's an old phrase, I think it was Henry Stinson in the States once in the 1930s or 40s said, you know, intelligence is, you know, uh, gentlemen, don't, re- don't read other gentlemen's mail. Maybe that's what we have here in Canada. We don't deal with that to the same extent. No, we don't. And you know exactly what you're saying came up during the first the CSIS leaks and all the intelligence officials that I talked to. They're, they, you could tell they didn't want to say it, but they said we've had this for some time. Yeah. We don't really take it seriously. Are we starting to see that on steroids now, Phil? I, I think so. And I'm really glad you raised the whole Chinese thing. And, you know, I, I never worked on China, as you're well aware. I was a counterterrorism analyst at CSIS. But, you know, we've been, we collectively at CSIS and the intelligence community have been warning governments going back 20 years uh, on China interference in Canada. Maybe not to the extent of what happened in the 2019 and 2021 elections, but we've been essentially uh, giving intelligence to senior officials saying, hey, here's what we know about this. It's, the ball's now in your court. You may want to do something about it. And yet, you know, when the intelligence leaks came out, the government's reaction was, well, we didn't see that, which was problematic. Or, oh, we don't want to deal with that because it might lead to racist comments. I'm thinking, we have a nation that tried to steal our elections. 
or interfere with them. I mean, how can that not be taken seriously? And the Financial Times article here goes for that. You know, we have this, it's no small problem we have with China. What did this story this week about the two Michaels, and then we have even more coming out about it. How did that, how did that shine a light on this? Because as Canadians, we thought, okay, this is an exchange for the Huawei incident. And now we have the word intelligence coming up with Michael Spavor saying he felt that his, his fellow hostage had used his information as intelligence. What does this say to you with your former CSIS and (laughs) risk experience here? Um, well, it's important to know these are allegations, of course, that Mr. Spavor has made. So let's, you know, treat them as such. But what it pointed to is um, kind of the amateur way in which some departments within Canada treated intelligence. So the program that Mr. Covey was accused of belonging to, and again, these are allegations, was called called the Global Security Reporting Program. And I remember when it came out after 9-11, when the then foreign ministry said, we have to collect security intelligence. I remember being at CSIS, and my colleagues and I saying, well, we do that. That's what ceases. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's the Canadian Security Intelligence Service. That's what we do. And we all thought that this was done on the fly. It was a reaction to 9 11. Everyone jumped on the intelligence mm-hmm. bandwagon. And the colleagues I've spoken to, Arlene, have all said it was a, a really amateurish job. It was like a amateur hour at the zoo. And, and they put people's lives in danger. And, and if Mr. Spaver's allegations are true, may have played a role in incarceration. But it's much more complicated than that, I'm pretty sure. It is, but let's just put that on ice, our problem with China, which is not not getting any better. But then we're putting a, a focus on that unit, as you just said. I mean, we're finding out many things, and we're hoping that the officials read the emails, because we know they don't always do that. Well, and again, you know, you want your foreign ministry uh, to gather information. That's why you send diplomats abroad. They meet with high-level officials in various countries. They send back reports. I've read many foreign affairs slash defate slash external affairs, Canada, whatever the acronym is, you know, going back 40 years. And it was good information, but it really matters how it's collected. And intelligence services are trained on how to get the real good stuff that's kind of, you know, a little bit, um, how to say, you know, in dicey situations where you're meeting with sources whom, if they're found out by their host governments, you could be in real real danger. And we didn't believe at CSIS that the folks that ran this so-called GSRP program had any of that training in mind, meaning they didn't know about protecting sources, doing surveillance, etc. And it's almost that they sold themselves as this brand new intelligence gathering organization that in all honesty was rather superfluous, given that we at CSIS have been doing it for a better part of about 20, 30 years by that point. All right, let me ask you, as we brought up, we had this, um, you you brought it up as well, Cameron Ortis found guilty of breaching the secrets law. And, you know, it's a complicated trial, and we'll forgive some Canadians if they thought, I, I don't know if I can follow that, but at the end of the day, it was pretty simple. How did this guy get away with this for so long? Wow, this just adds to this compounding feeling that maybe our security isn't so great here in Canada. Well, I think the, 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 the silver lining for me, Arlene, is that the legislation works. Now, the Security of Information Act replaced the old Official Secrets Act. I remember being at CSE, which is Kennel Signals Intelligence, when we had the Official Secrets Act out, and I had a colleague with whom I worked disclose some very sensitive information in public, and nothing ever happened to this person. They got away with a scot-free, which makes us who are working say, well, what do you need to do to get arrested in this country yeah. when you trade secrets? <laughs> 
So the, the trial is a, is a good one. Um, it appears to me, and I don't know a lot about the RSCP investigation, but were there signs that were missed? Possibly. But I think at the end of the day, uh, we've had a trial. He was judged by a jury of his peers. He was found guilty. And it shows that we can go to court um, when it comes to the very sensitive information. It has to be handled very carefully, obviously. But I think it demonstrates to Canadians that if you take the move to sell secrets to somebody who shouldn't have them, you're going to be dealt with, arrested, prosecuted, and hopefully found guilty. So pass the test. I, th- I think it did. And, and we'll see going forward if there are analogous mm. cases. Let's hope there's not too many cases going forward. You never want to have too many of them. But I, it, it, I think the proof is of the pudding is in the eating, as they say. And I, I think definitely this new act was shown to work. It is. And, you know, we also had the security. It was this time last week. And the Halifax security meeting was there, too. And Canada hosting this thing is kind of a different vibe now, I can imagine, for Canada. Because before, I mean, we had all these oceans and we were impervious to it. And now we're like, well, we have a few problems. Well, yes, that's true. But um, I've got a a bit of a bad news, um, I guess, to share with you. What I'm hearing from my sources, and these include people who still work in the business, the intelligence business, a lot of our allies are asking questions of us. How serious are we? Are we taking Chinese interference seriously? Are we treating terrorism seriously? And, you know, Canada, you know, I'll I'll stand up for thesis in the RCMP and CSC and the other agencies. Yeah, I've spent 32 years in the business. But I'm not sure our governments are standing up for them. And that's what worries me at the end of the day. We rely very heavily on our alliances because we're net importers of intelligence. And if they see us as untrustworthy, worst case scenario, they may start cutting back on what they share with us. Yeah, and they think it's porous or it's not worth it. Phil, let's talk about the Rainbow Bridge. All the stuff that we've been we've been discussing, a little heady for people and they get their minds around it as we learn more about Chinese election interference. But we saw it. We all saw it. We felt it. At the Rainbow Bridge, it was what could have happened. And there was a moment, later on in the show, we're going to hear the personal story of the mayor. He, You oh. can imagine he freaked out. He was at the dentist. Yeah, for sure. He yeah. was at the dentist and went, this is the big one. <laughs> Phil, I'm kind of laughing because it didn't, it didn't happen. But boy, it showed us a lot, Phil. What were you thinking as that was unfolding? Well, I, I'll be honest, Arlie. When I saw, when I heard what happened, I guess it's, you know, when you work in counterterrorism and when you write six books on the topic, including a history of terrorism in Canada, back to Confederation, I, I'm destined to go down that road and consider it as a possibility. And, and if you recall, in the sort of the immediate hour or so, um, we weren't really sure what happened. People raised, raised the T word, the terrorism. But, you know, we had to be cautious because they are still gathering up pieces, literally and figuratively, in this one. Uh, I don't know if you saw the video on the with a car going through the air. I, I thought I was watching Die Hard 4 with Willis or something. It was, it was so bizarre. But what's interesting to me is how quickly uh, the FBI and, uh, and one of their counterparts called the JTTF, the Joint Terrorism Task Force, were able to eliminate the possibility or probability rather that it was terrorism. So that shows how competent they are. I, and I don't think I've had people online say, oh, they're, they're covering something up. I don't think they are. I think they went through the footage. They you know, obviously found out who was behind the wheel, et cetera, et cetera. And they concluded that this was not an act of terrorism. But it, 
boy, it sure grabbed our imagination for three or four hours last week, didn't it? It absolutely did. And as I mentioned earlier, I know that bridge. I worked one of my first jobs at the radio station in the Wonder City. And it always struck me and it, just how, how much it's coming together. You know, they have, uh, they have the electrical, they have uh, the biggest, most powerful country in the world right there. Niagara Falls across the bridge. We have shared borders. We have four bridges. A lot could have gone wrong there, Phil. And considering all the stuff and the tension, and never mind the warning, yeah, the warning had just came out. So we we watched good news unfold and got a lot of compliments. The FBI, I talked to a former FBI guy, and he complimented Canada and, and the working relationship. So I'm glad you would agree. It's a very good work, work relationship. I mean, you know, those of us at CSIS, my colleagues at the RCMP or at CSE, we, we work hand in glove with our American and, and British and other colleagues and, and allies around the world. But I, I think where it happened and how it's happened, that's probably why people went down the initial analysis that it could have been terrorism. First of all, Arlene, we've had a lot of vehicular attacks around the world in London, in Barcelona, in Nice, in Edmonton back in 2017, outside of Commonwealth Stadium. So we know it's a modus operandi of terrorists. Secondly, it's a border post. And, you know, you alluded, I mean, how important is the border to Canada-U.S. relations? It's absolutely critical in both of our economies. So if, if you were a terrorist, uh, you wanted to have the greatest impact using a, a small-scale attack, just a guy in a car, what better place to attend? The border was closed for a couple hours. The airports were closed. You know, and if it had been something worse, think back to 9-11, how, how, you know, how long was the border closed back then? It was days. So, I, I mean, I understand why people consider the possibility it was terrorism. I'm just glad that, they, that the American authorities, with their Canadian counterparts, I'm sure, were able to, uh, you know, complete the puzzle and decide, yeah, we looked at this and we're pretty confident this, this was uh, some kind of freak event or accident and was not, in fact, an act of terrorism. Yeah, it is. It taught us a lot, though. And the way we we think about things, you're saying that people from other countries and or, or, or even people in intelligence are saying allies are starting to ask questions. How serious is, is this right now? You know, we're seeing headlines. Canada's lost its place in the world. As I mentioned, Financial Times, somebody sat around in a meeting and said, where do we need to turn our attention? And somebody there said, let's talk about Canada and their place in the world. How serious is it for you? And from a non, I'll ask you to go non-political, everybody, because it isn't just this administration. This is what we're seeing now, and they haven't they haven't improved it, and maybe made it worse. To be honest, but it's it happened before, according to intelligence people I've talked to. Well, in fact, you know, the initial warnings about China's interference I mean, go back to the 2000s under the conservative government. Yeah. And those warnings were ignored back then as well. So you're right. You don't need to get political here. I've always said that we have a very um, immature intelligence culture here in Canada. What I mean by that is most government officials don't get intelligence, don't trust it, don't want it, ignore it, et cetera, et cetera. And it is important for us if our allies, so you're probably familiar with the term the five eyes, which is the Anglo-centric mm-hmm. group of countries. As I said earlier before the break, we're a net importer of intelligence. If people start thinking that maybe Canada isn't the Canada they used to deal with, and again, I, I spent 32 years in the business and we held our weight. We definitely put, you know, we punched above our weight and we were a, a net, you know, we were a contributor to, to the the alliance. But if people start asking questions, then I'm not saying they're going to cut us off. I'm not going, I'm not that dire. Mm-hmm. But if they start thinking, geez, maybe the Canadians aren't as robust as they used to be, it could have consequences for them. And if we don't have the intelligence upon which to, you know, to give to governments, whether it's our own or allied intelligence to make better decisions and policies, I think we're going to keep a hurt here in Canada. 
Yeah, let's hope they let's hope they heard it. Final quick question. We only have a minute left. Phil, did they hear it? Do you think? Did they get it? Uh, I hope so, Arlene. But again, the you know, I, I looked at these statements by various ministers and the yeah. prime minister when the, the season leaks came out about China, and I was not confident. We have ministers who couldn't bother looking look at their inboxes. Oh, yeah. We're not over or, that. We're not or, over that. Or, 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 or passing stuff up to the. I mean, look at ministers are busy people. We all get that. But if you're not considering important intelligence on important matters, that's not a good thing for government power. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.